Welcome to The Real, the podcast where we talk about the entertainment that we consume and what we really think about it. I am one of your hosts, Michael, and a man that uh, definitely always looks behind the shower curtain before I get in and when I get out. Mm -hmm. Um, But I am joined by my colleague and friend, man who I've never known him to have vertigo, but maybe he will be a little fearful of the rear window today and birds. Jesse, how are you doing, Jesse? I'm good, man. Good. Did you come up with all those puns on your own or it's not usually your style <laughs> yes i did come up with all those puns on my own <laughs> well bravo sir bravo um i do not have vertigo that i know of um i also do not usually check the shower curtain because i mean well you got to get into the shower through there anyway so not much point um and then you know rear windows yeah uh We've got a few, and I do look out of them at my house, which I am still trying to renovate. So good times all around. Yeah, fair. Um, And I think uh, for those that weren't able to pick up on my uh, metaphors, I don't know. I'm tired. Long long, uh, week of work so far for me. We are going to be doing an episode uh, in kind of conjunction with Uh, One of the, I would argue, one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, um, uh, because his birthday is coming up uh, here on August 13th, um, which will actually be uh, past when we publish this episode. But, uh, you know, we we publish on Saturday, so we we do what we can. But his uh, birthday is August uh, 13th, and that man is Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, I mean, many, many people know who he is, so... Yeah, so we just wanted to do kind of a little bit of a episode talking about the man, the myth, the legend, uh, the artist, Alfred Hitchcock, um, the master of suspense, as he's also known, um, directed over uh, 50 feature films, um, a career spanning uh, six decades, um, and was just... Uh, I, I think he was really an innovator in not just the stories that he told, but also how he shot them. Um, so those that know or don't know, he but he was born on August 13th of 1899 um, in England, in fact, Le- uh, Leetonstone, uh, England. And he did uh, when he died, it was in uh, the 29th of April in 1980 uh, here in the United States, uh, Los Angeles, California. So um, a man that lived quite a long life, uh, a quite amazing filmography um, a stint in the industry, um, kind of just I mean, there's even a style of film, you know, called, uh, you know, Hitchcockian uh style is something that is thrown around and refers to kind of just how he shot his films and how he went about them so i mean he i feel like he's a pretty good man for us to kind of do one of our first i feel like episodes on uh, an actual human being kind of just doing a deep dive into his career and who he um was as a human yes a a real life human being and not wrestlers on a show or anime characters or giant lizards who come out of the sea. So it's a change of pace for us. Yeah. So I think uh, it's, it's very interesting kind of learning a little bit about him. He was very, a lot of his movies sometimes didn't get the funding. They really did. Uh, They should have gotten, he actually fronted a lot of his own movies, uh, which I think is kind of, 
it shows you the power that um, a director can take into their hands when they put their own money into it. He had a very interesting, uh, and I, I don't want to speak ill of him um, in the sense of, you know, how, how he lived his life, but I know he was very fond of his um, uh, ingenues, I think is the term, which is a, a term in theater. And I think it goes over a little bit into movies is uh, essentially uh, attractive young actresses, um, that uh -huh. type of role. Um, I don't think there was anything undue ward that happened, but he he did usually uh, take a great passion in making sure that those the actresses that he had performed at a very high level. He was married to Alma Ravel. Arm Armel Ravel, thank you. Um, in uh, December of 1926 their only daughter or uh, their only child and daughter uh patricia uh hitchcock and that was kind of one of those big things is that he was a man of many passions and i feel like that kind of uh, uh from what i remember about seeing some documentaries on it uh his family was one of his passions but also at the same time fell to the wayside when he was working on his art so I, I think he he's that classic artist where once the art comes, it takes over everything you're doing. And I mean, he had a long, illustrious career. Like I said, it, the amount of movies that he did uh, over 50 features. I mean, we're talking movies spanning from early in Hollywood, the early, you know, uh, 1939, uh, where he even, Later, eventually, was even doing movies up until the, the I think it was 19, I had them in my notes here, sorry, 1962, I think it was. I mean, that's a, a very long time to be putting out movies and pretty great all of them down the line. So, yeah, I mean, he did have, you know, one of the more illustrious careers, if you will, of a classic filmmaker, I think. That's certainly an impressive amount of features for back then, considering he had to front the money for so many of those. I, that's not something you see very often, I think, in those days. Um, and even so now, I think that's a difficult prospect for a lot of um, even you know, recently established filmmakers to be able to take that on. Um, he certainly, I think, was very influential and his styles, his themes, as you mentioned, his filmmaking approach and how he framed his shots and the way that he incorporated, I think, some of those styles into the perspective of the camera and whatnot. I think the man himself, while I'm, I'm sure he was multifaceted, I do challenge you a little bit on not speaking completely ill of him uh, simply because i think his methods were borderline barbaric in some cases <laughs> and i think his i find his opinion and uh attitude towards his own actors to be interesting and uh interesting meaning i <laughs> he almost seems them and didn't want really anything to do with them and it, it just fascinates me that you can work with somebody in that type of environment where you got to be simpatico uh, in most cases and to just you know really not want anything to do with these people so he's a he's a complex man um 
not an entirely great man, in my opinion, but I mean, you certainly can't mm -hmm. argue with his results. And like I said, he, I think, had a profound impact on the films we know and love, uh, both classic from that time period and all the way into today. Yeah, and uh... very much a, I'm not sure, you know, don't meet your heroes necessarily type scenario. I think he could fall under that. Yeah. I, I, to be clear, I, I, I'm not entirely, and my reference of him not speaking ill is, uh, I just, like I said, I remember seeing something in a, um, documentary that talked about his, uh, relationship with his actors and it, and I say, especially his female actors, uh, yeah. actresses. And, but it didn't seem to me that anyone, directly said anything and the, at that point it's it's hard to tell what really happened sure it's you know that's the caveat i think with mm -hmm. a lot of folks from back then i just love <laughs> this remark that he made about you know how actors should be treated like cattle basically <laughs> I mean, damn that's that's cold-blooded yeah he was uh quite I, I think uh quite aggressive in his approach to how he did treat his actors did um just kind of how he went about his entire process so yeah so i mean let's get, kind of start going on that like let's talk about the movies that he put out um and kind of more the style that he came up with i i know we referred earlier to his specific style of the hitchcock uh hitchcockian uh style of uh, filmmaking i think he it's really it showcases a lot of voyeurism putting the camera in the audiences, what the audience would see, having that motion be as if you or I was walking through the scene itself. And I think yeah. that's really what separated him out as a truly great director was that he really did, I think, something pretty um, revolutionary at the time to showcase the emotions that he was going through or showcase the emotions that were happening on the the screen was to allow the audience to really get into the perspective of being someone truly there. Yeah. I mean, I think just the way that he, you know, really made you feel like you said, like you were there and then the audience almost becomes part of the story because of that perspective. Like I feel like I'm in the back of, you know, Scotty's car when he's driving through the streets of San Francisco, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And the, I mean, I remember, you know, and we'll touch on this more in a little bit, but I just remember, you know, seeing his work for the first time, knowing that these are older movies and kind of thinking to myself, well, this is something I don't know that I've ever truly seen in a you know movie of this age uh, from this time period. So um, his innovation and his filmmaking and how he got his shots. I mean, it's, you know, it, it speaks for itself. Yeah. And I think that's kind of, um, if, if you've never seen a Hitchcock film and don't want to, if, if you're concerned about spending the time to experience one, um, I recommend, uh, just if you want to kind of get a feel of the man himself, um, and in a short little snippet of actual production, um, I recommend taking a look at the theatrical trailer for the movie Psycho. Um, 
it's about i think it's almost like maybe six minutes long um six minute trailer wow yeah well uh, when i describe it i think you'll 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 understand why uh it's like that um so the trailer starts out and admittedly you have to remember this was it came out in 1960 so sure. trailers are a little different from back then. I actually, in fact, I wish more trailers did stuff like this. Nowadays, uh, I feel like trailers have gotten to the point where we are. They spoil uh, movies that they're intending for me to like. They're, they're wanting me to go see them and they spoil them or they're used to manipulate me into thinking that movie something different as an audience goer mm-hmm. or even uh, I think they're. Uh, they give they give away the best lines or they give away all of that one actor's performance in the entire piece. And then when you go and watch it, you're like, oh, I thought there was going to be more of this. I saw all of this in the trailer. Yeah. So um, spoiling. I mean, there are some trailers you finish watching and you think to yourself, well, I feel like I just saw the whole movie. I guess I don't need to go see that now. It's it's pretty interesting. So back to the. um the psycho uh, theatrical trailer uh, for the Alfred Hitchcock movie. So it starts out with uh, kind of this, it's black and white, um, which we'll come back to here in a little bit. Um, But it it starts out with uh, white text on the screen and kind of almost like, I would say just kind of put it in frame of reference, like old animated Disney music um, animation, animated picture, Disney music, where it's kind of like upbeat and a little happy again, this is for the movie psycho. Uh, and it says the fabulous Mr. Alfred Hitchcock is about to escort you dot, dot, dot on a tour of the location of his new motion picture psycho. And then he goes in and he's like, good afternoon. And he's describing the set to you, the motel. He continues to talk about it and kind of allude to something happening here. And then he points up to the house up on the hill and describes that it's probably going to be up for sale shortly because something, uh, a murder happened here. And murders happened here. And so it's interesting because he's he, he lays out the movie kind of for you. And I, I'm describing it. I know I told people to go watch it, but I, I, it, I can't do it justice. He goes on to essentially keep describing these things and telling you like these parts of the movie that happen, but in such a way that it leaves you intrigued and wanting to know more. He tells you that there's a person that is the, the lady is seen in the window, uh, that single window up on the second floor right over there. And then he tells you about how somebody falls down the stairs, but then he gets to the part about where he talks about the guy being dead and he starts describing the body twisted and destroyed but then stops and goes it, uh, it it's too, it you know it's it's too gross which made me when i watched it i was like i'd already seen the movie and i was like oh now i want to watch it again because how ha- how he's talking about it and he just keeps going and he talks about going upstairs and uh his hand motions and his little note and his little facial uh, cues and again mind you while all this is happening like like disney fair music is playing in the background there's even like parts where it's like it's like played off him describing this horrific murder as a joke um and i think one of the best ones is, is that he goes to a closet um and like just is like oh there's something in here. he's like oh let's you know even her clothes are still here and he opens it up and 
gives this disgusted look and goes, we won't go in there. And he shuts it and you're like, wait, what's in the closet? And, and then at one point he like finds a bathroom and goes, there's a bathroom in there. And then <laughs> walks down the hallway and you're like, what's going on? Yeah. And, and he just keeps talking and he just keeps going on and just pointing up the story and talking about it. And it keeps going and keeps going and it keeps building and building and building and building. And I, I'm going to ruin it for somebody if they haven't seen it or they're going to see it for the first time. But if you haven't seen the psycho, you know, curtain lady screaming thing, where have you been? It's referenced in everything. I even think it's been referenced in Sesame Street. Um, <laughs> I think it's even referenced in Space Jam, the original one, if I remember correctly, or it's another Looney Tunes movie where they talk about pouring maple uh, uh, Hershey syrup down the drain. Um, but he gets to like the shower and he goes and he pulls back the curtain and they do a cut from that to the scene in the movie where she's screaming and it says psycho and it like changes everything. But this is a six minute trailer and it, it does such a good job of making you excited and giving you that suspense and wanting to know what's in that closet, wanting to know how the body looks at the bottom of the stairs, wanting to know why the taxidermy is such a big part of this man's life. And so it does something that I feel like no other trail, like so many other trailers nowadays fail at doing, which is actually get me excited to see something. Mind you, I've seen Psycho, I don't know how many times, but it actually gets me excited to see it again because of how suspenseful he is and just the way he does everything. So I highly recommend if you've never seen anything by Hitchcock, if you want to get a taste of kind of what he does, I recommend just sitting through six minutes on YouTube, the Psycho theatrical trailer and giving it a watch. I mean, six minutes, you know, it's no big deal. It's nothing, you know, it's chunk change. So yeah. I would say, uh, first of all, Looney Tunes back in action had the psycho. Okay. In it. Uh, quick fact check that I did for you there. <laughs> um, not a, not a great movie. I, I'd say I'd even prefer Space Jam to that movie. So <laughs> I wouldn't recommend going to that. Just look it up on YouTube if you're interested. YouTube is your best friend this episode, I would say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you don't see stuff like that anymore. I think for the sole insistence that usually, um, you know, movie theaters are trying to cram as many trailers as they can in before, you know, a showing for a movie because they're trying to, of course, drum up as much interest for these various films as they can so they can make themselves and the studios money and you just would never see unless you went to like an art house or like mm -hmm. some like classic theater where they still do stuff like that and those are out there there's usually one in almost every big town and city um and that they actually take the time to sort of celebrate um, this appreciation of classic film and these tendencies and styles from, you know, long ago. Um, and that's 100%, you know, I think something that a lot of people in the, the classic film uh, <laughs> community would, you know, probably agree with you on. Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting thing kind of going back and watching some of his, his movies and what we think as horror uh, nowadays is so vastly different and than what he was putting out. I think about the, the uh, I, I referenced it 
in an earlier episode, my mom going to see the birds when she was younger, like snuck out to see it um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and was like terrified of Miss the movie. McManus. How could you? <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. It's OK, though. Don't worry. Her mom, uh, her mom has passed, so she, she won't get in trouble. Um, <laughs> wow. That doesn't necessarily make me feel good, but continue. Yeah. <laughs> um, she so she snuck out and went and saw the birds uh, in in theaters and was scared, was terrified of it, um, was so scared of it. And then I remember watching it with her, um, I think a, a much older age than she was when she saw it for the first time. But I was just like, this was scary. This is not scary at all. I mean, like it's scary in the sense that like birds are like flying at your face, but that's uh-huh. more I feel like jump scary than anything else. But the kind of the process of it is I, I was focused. I feel like when I was that young, I was focusing on the wrong things. I was thinking of, you know, scary in the sense of yes, jump scares, but mm-hmm. it's the suspense of the situation. This, the, the birds being everywhere that they're, that they're doing these things that they're forcing people to stay inside because they just keep attacking them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's so many of his pieces uh, I think, you know, rear window is a great example where there's the entire scene of what, where you see Grace Kelly, uh, her character going into this person's apartment and you, and we are with, uh, the guy in this, his wheelchair, um, who's play, uh, James Stewart is the, the actor. Um, we're, we're with him in his apartment and we're yeah. seeing what's happening and we, you feel that anxiety of, oh my gosh, she's going to get caught. Is she going to get caught? She's got to get out. And he did such a great job of building that up slowly where I feel like in the reboot of uh, rear window of um, Disturbia Disturbia or Suburbia? Disturbia. Disturbia. Yeah, with Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. Yep. Yeah. That one, it didn't have as much suspense because it kept cutting away. It kept bringing him out of areas. It it moved him around. And it wasn't the same thing that we were in one scene where we could see into other people's houses and that was it. And that, you know, I think when you talk about suspense, um, one of my favorite theories of his, or I, I guess approaches or what have you, the whole, you know, the bomb theory or the, the bomb under the table, mm-hmm. whatever it's called in that. If, you know, nothing's happening, um, and the bomb just randomly explodes, um, the audience will have, you know, about 15 seconds of being surprised. But otherwise, it's coming from, an, you know, just an ordinary situation, and there's nothing special about that. But in the case of where we know and are told, oh, there's a bomb under the table, it's going to explode in 15 minutes, then we have that prolonged suspense for that full 15 minutes. And we just want to tell the characters, get out of there, get out of there, you dumb fucks. The bomb's going to blow up. Um, And I think that, as you said, it creates that feeling of anxiety. It tends to make you more invested into what's happening. Um, And I think that's something to this day, I vastly prefer a movie that can hold my suspense and permeates that anxiety throughout the story rather than one that's ripe with jump scares. I think this is something, a film like 
Get Out, which was, you know, I think one of the more recent uh, successful and recent films in the uh, thriller, suspense, you know, horror genre, definitely uh, opted for that approach. And man, I fucking heart rate was jacked <laughs> for most of that movie, my dude. And it's because you get us invested into just what could be the possible what could be the worst possible outcome here? And we know that it's, it's only a matter of time. And then we're kind of left to <laughs> just watch, you know, and hope that the characters can figure it out. That's, that's always going to snare me and, uh, and, you know, capture my attention in film. I mean, I think it's uh, to kind of retread an old conversation we had, but I think, you know, the bomb going off uh, and, and us as audience members knowing it's going to go off goes to uh, Army of the Dead, where <laughs> there should be suspense about the fact that they are in a situation where a bomb is going to go off in a, cent, a set amount of time. More or less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the characters aren't reacting, I feel like, in an appropriate way to keep us in suspense that kind of breaks it for us. Whereas I feel like if, you know, in a magical world where zombie Hitchcock comes back and directed army of the dead, I feel like he would, uh, ironic. I know zombie Hitchcock directing a zombie movie, but now, stick with me on this. Now there's, that's going to be a screenplay. <laughs> I'm off, so. Um, he, he would, spend that time with us as audience members still showing us that the bomb's going to go off but keeping that suspense going and showing the characters reacting appropriately to the situation of the in imminent explosion that we all know is going to happen so no, i i love my boy zach but yeah our army of the dead definitely went for the surprise over suspense approach and <laughs> that characters are oh yeah everything's good oh shit well she's dead i guess we're moving on everything's good oh she's dead too well maybe some of them will make it home nope everybody's dead <laughs> cool so yeah, it did it, it definitely you know and i said this when we recorded that episode that i i would probably not even though i i did enjoy you know that film overall i would probably not go out of my way to watch that again and it's because i i don't have any strong memories of any you know intense visceral reactions to anything that was happening and so it doesn't leave as much of an impact on me afterwards it's interchangeable in a lot of <laughs> yeah so i mean i think that's it, it just shows you, you you go through the catalog and so many of them so many of his movies are they build that suspense they put you in that that frame of reference as being a voyeur in the situation or even i think in vertigo um mm -hmm. you you get put physically into that space of uh the main character where you see kind of that feeling that he's going through vertigo is also like being the most awkward third wheel you could possibly <laughs> And you just you could not fucking get away from it, and it it, it was great. I loved it. Mm -hmm. But um, more on that in a bit. Yeah, 
So, okay. So um, let's kind of, uh, one thing I want to play real quick, Jesse, is um, yeah. I'm going to list off some just movies really quickly. And I want, or I'm going to list off a movie and you tell me if, if the movie came out before or after the movie Psycho. Okay. All right. Like, put me on the spot here. <laughs> All right. Uh, so dial M for murder before or after Psycho. I would say probably before. Very good. It did come out before. Uh, it came out in 1954. Mind you, Dial M for Murder is in color. <laughs> yeah, I, I never really understood that, but you know, that's that's not why we're here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. So another one. Uh, rear Window before or after Psycho. I'm gonna say before as well. Correct. Uh, to Catch a Thief. Uh, I'm going to stay with before. Very good. Uh, the Birds. Before. Incorrect. That one actually did what? come out afterwards. You were so close in uh, 1963. Uh, I know. I That's one where I think I let it ride. <laughs> one, just one too many times. One too many times. Which I will keep in mind before our buddy Ryan's bachelor party this weekend. <laughs> Yeah. very good yes that's we gotta watch out for that <laughs> but um so i i kind of wanted to bring that up actually because a lot of people think the movie psycho came out much earlier in um hitchcock's career because of the fact it's in black and white in comparison to like i was saying dial in for murder uh rear window uh to catch a thief all of those came out before them and people so that people think just because simply psycho is in black and white they are uh the movie itself is older which is just such an interesting um cultural thing where essentially because the movie is black and white we think it's therefore has to be older um and the reason that psycho was in black and white was because actually there was some trouble with the production and so essentially he had to use that technique to try to, you know, tighten. He had a tight budget, so he was using black and white because it was cheaper than color. And so that's the entire reason the movie was shot in black and white. It wasn't super uncommon for some movies to be shot in black and white during that time, but it was just kind of an odd thing that it, it, it came up in the the um, production. So it's just a fun thing I like to to point out to people because some people don't. That in their mind, they know it's it can't like some people know it came out in 1960, but they just don't they can't comprehend that it is black and white for another reason than besides it was old. Yeah, and yet I can't really imagine Psycho in color um, unless you know we're talking about the one with Vince Vaughn that they did in the, the late 1990s. So oh yeah, yeah, I, was, I couldn't even imagine it. I mean, because some of those shots in black and white are now so iconic. So mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's one of those happy accidents, as, as we'd say, for the the film industry as a whole. Yeah, I think it's it just kind of shows uh, a an artistic direction, if owned and done purposefully, can truly make a great piece of art come through. Um, you don't need to see the colors in Psycho to see everything. It still, I mean the shower scene is still iconic. It's still so vi it's vividly sticks out in people's minds um, that it's just because of that. It doesn't matter if it's in black and white, it's still just the same. 
uh, scene. Yeah. That's, that was just my, I like playing that little game just with people just kind of find out like, you know, it's, it's not to, to, um, uh, poo poo anyone and their, uh, their Hitchcock knowledge. It's just, I think it's just a fun little thing to kind of throw out there and ask people. Hey, you know, almost made it. So I'll take that. <laughs> Perfect. So I think we'll kind of just roll into, let's talk about some of our favorite, uh, Hitchcock movies. Um, give a little bit of a, you know, rundown of them. Um, I think, we'll say here pretty light spoilers um going right. forward so if you haven't seen one of these hitchcock films and would really like to um just be aware there's there's going to be some light spoilers here i don't think we're gonna give the whole the whole the whole the whole card away um so just 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 so you know so uh why don't you start off jesse what's one of your favorite hitchcock films and you know what so I do want to give a quick shout out to North by Northwest because I think that's probably one of his most accessible films overall. Um, and definitely, I think, a, a change of pace from his typical, I think, more suspense, anxiety-ridden uh, films that he's done. And so I, I appreciate that he had some range in that regard and could just you know make a fun, a fun thriller. Um, mm -hmm. But I will have to go, as I've alluded to earlier, uh, with Vertigo um, for my, probably my favorite Hitchcock film. I think I, I'm pretty confident in saying that. Um, I saw this movie um, when I was in college. I believe I was taking a intro to film studies class or something along those lines. The professor who taught said class was very much your typical, I really only like movies from pre-1970 everything today is garbage i've seen like one movie i liked in 20 years which that's an entirely different conversation altogether but uh <laughs> so you can imagine it was it was you know all all the classics when we actually got to sit down and watch a film for discussion and analysis and one of those films i'm very thankful for was vertigo and it was the first Hitchcock film I had seen, if I'm not mistaken. And for those who don't know, um, Vertigo is the story of former police detective uh, John Scotty Ferguson, uh, Scotty being his preferred name. Uh, he's forced into early retirement uh, because of an incident in the line of duty uh, caused him to develop acrophobia which is the extreme fear of heights and vertigo and there's the title a false sense of rotational movement uh, scotty is hired by an acquaintance uh, gavin elster as a pi uh, to follow gavin's wife madeline who is behaving strangely and that i think is about as specific as i'll go to in you know plot details because i think one of the rewarding parts about Vertigo is to go into it as blindly as humanly possible. Um, I will say one uh, tidbit about the film that I just greatly appreciated was, you know, the opening. Um, we have a rooftop chase. Scotty, before his retirement, is uh, assisting a couple of other police officers and chasing down, I guess, you know, probably a criminal of some sort or, you know, uh, somebody who got away, uh, what have you. And they're having to 
dive from rooftop or leap from rooftop to rooftop uh, chasing this guy on this particularly steep one. Um, Scotty doesn't make the jump. Um, one of the fellow officers reaches down to try and, you know, help him up, help pull him up, loses his balance. And then that officer tumbles to his death <laughs> from a very high height. Um, and it's one of the, I think, great instances of how Hitchcock uses the camera to fully capture uh, the anguish and the fear and any of the anxiety in his character's reactions and their facial features uh, because Scotty, <laughs> what witnesses this? And you can see his acrophobia and his vertigo fully setting in now after experiencing it for the first time. And that kind of just sets the stage wonderfully for the rest of the movie. This is never referenced again. We don't know who these cops were that were with them, who the guy was that fell to his death, who the guy they were chasing was even. All we know is that this is the incident that put him on this path that has led him to where we are at um, at the start of this movie. And right from that point, dude, it had my full attention. I was like, holy shit, we're two minutes in. Somebody's already dead in this movie. So this is pretty awesome for a classic movie because I was, you know, 18 or 19 and had a, a shorter <laughs> attention span back then than I do now. Um, and just being fully, you know, hooked into what was happening and um, the next, you know, two-ish hours of the running time, completely invested in everything that was happening. Um, so this was, you know, 100%. Um, you know, I think one of those films that definitely influenced, you know, just how I appreciate, you know, certain aspects of filmmaking and storytelling and camera work. Um, I think this and 12 Angry Men probably had the biggest influence on me in those regards. Um, so I just, I very, you know, fond of this one i think it is a little unique as well in that it kind of died or dives you know deeply into you know just this psychological obsession that a person can have and you know the factors that can influence that and again as we've said <laughs> kind of being uh, as the audience kind of being in the middle of all this when things start happening and you know just that you know, prolonged suspense that's never, that never lets up until the credits roll. And even then, oh my God, you know, you just feel, <laughs> you feel, you know, so gratified, you know, for what they have accomplished here. So it's, uh, that's, you know, me for Vertigo. If you have any thoughts on that, I've, I've certainly talked long enough here. I mean, uh, I, it's i remember uh, in that same weekend that i watched rear window uh the birds with my mom i remember watching vertigo and I, the 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 scene where he he gets up like on a step stool i think at like a doctor's office or something and goes through the experience um and the camera moves and swirls and the sound and every it was I remember watching it and being impressed in my mind how intense that was. 
and it was just a guy climbing up a stepladder. Yeah. Um, it just, it, it was just so, it was done such in such a way that it made me go, oh gosh, uh, this is something, he, this is what he's going through in his life and mm -hmm. how horrible that would be. And just talking and then like talking with my mother about what vertigo was and understanding more about that. And it's, I feel it, it does a very good job of kind of showcasing the use of camera work can really invoke a true sensation in an audience. Um, I even think there's probably, I, I want to say if I remember correctly, there were articles that came out about how people like had to leave the theater because they were throwing up um, <laughs> because they were just so, um, so, so, so turned uh, the, the motion turned their stomach so hard um, <laughs> in the uh, get movie. Them, get them off again. Somebody else <laughs> Ralphed <laughs> theater. Damn it. Yeah, so it was just uh, I I remember like I, I feel like I've heard that. So it's just it's such an interesting thing to watch. Um, again, a master of his craft to do what he did, which was make people feel these things and really yeah. truly experience these emotions. Just from that intro, and they don't give you again any details <laughs> other than what's happening, but you understand this man has experienced a psychological and lifelong loss that I he doesn't fully understand what those ramifications will be or you know the the full fallout of all that and that's just man then you're in suspense the rest of the movie because you know, how is this going to play out for this man and it's probably not going to be good <laughs> yeah i mean yes it's very oh so very true <laughs> I had also only seen James Stewart in, I think at the time, um, It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so go from that and to see him here, I was like, damn, Jimmy Stewart. Range. <laughs> yeah. I, and I mean, admittedly, I think we should probably even do a uh, small episode on uh, It's a Wonderful Life when it comes up. But it's it's such an interesting thing that people, that's where he's really famous for, from. And when you know a little yeah. bit of, more about the actual story if, uh, of It's a Wonderful Life, you realize, huh, interesting that that's what he's famous from. So his, his minus, I'm sorry, his minor nervous breakdown in that movie is just the tip of the iceberg for what he's capable mm -hmm. of and all the things. Yeah. I mean, we're talking, I mean, another living, uh, another legend of his time um, yeah. right there. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, if you're all right, uh, I'm going to share yeah. mine. I, yeah, let's, let's hear it. So I already talked about, and I kind of feel like this is a little bit of cheating. Um, this isn't actually my favorite because I did talk about my favorite, which was rear window in our other podcast uh, about, um, corrupting our future children into watching movies that we really enjoyed. Um, <laughs> so um, I am going to not talk about rear, uh, rear window again here. Um, but in fact, talk about a very, uh, very famous movie. Uh, a lot of people have seen it. Uh, the birds, um, by Alfred Hitchcock. Um, and those that haven't seen it, um, it is, um, essentially set around, um, and I'm trying to not, cause it, it kicks off very early um but these characters are in a small little town and the 
avian population, not just in this town, but all over in the entire world, uh, start attacking and um, going against humans that are out there and uh, doing damage. And um, the entire movie is you see these different steps and process where someone's trapped in a phone booth and has to be rescued. And okay. there's an explosion that happens um, because essentially a bird drives, uh, flies into somebody's window and causes them to smash. There's uh, birds that attack little kids um, or uh, they're refusing to eat. And it's, it's all working towards something bigger that the birds are organized and they have to spend this time in this small little house dealing with this experience and just kind of that whole thing where it starts out as a very kind of, it starts out almost as like a romantic story, kind of almost like a, a semi kind of sitcom, -y, not sitcom, uh rom-com yeah. type thing yeah. uh, with the, the main characters and like a, a bird shop. And there's some like jokes about like lovebirds and there's a whole thing. And then it just uh, takes a turn <laughs> pretty hard into uh, almost monster horror as and it goes on. It doesn't fully reveal the extent of mm -hmm. the monster horror all all at once or all at the first go. It's there's that you know whatever that bird that swoops down and you know attacks her when she's in the boat flies yeah. away and then that's it. That's all. And it's like well that was kind of weird. Fuck that bird. <laughs> yeah. Well, um and then it starts to build from there and then you know uh, like you said we get you know lots of lots of turns after that mm -hmm. so and i don't want to like i said it's it's light spoilery um if you haven't seen the birds yet um you yeah. you probably know what happens in it it's referenced in so many movies uh it's kind of even uh, I feel like the reveal of the birds attacking is like even seen in like commercial or not commercials, but like on Turner classic movies is they even do small little tidbits of that movie. So it, I don't feel like it's just, I, I, I unfortunately can't talk about it without spoiling it a little bit, but I feel like it's just such a great movie in the sense that it takes such a simple, simplistic concept of a population on this world that we know mm -hmm. and we, you know, take for granted um in the sense that they we they exist alongside of us in our communities and we ignore them and they can do a lot of damage <laughs> if if they really wanted to i i do love and i think this movie is famous for this and also probably jaws for Oh, nobody wants to go into the water now, type of thing. <laughs> um, but that just the the impact that it had on our parents' generation and you know our grandparents' generation, and that I can remember instances of being somewhere in public, and my mother or someone will turn and see just you know. A, a line of birds just chilling on a power line or, or clustered together somewhere, you know, the whole flock is present and just 
almost kind of shuddering and, you know, remembering the birds and that, how this fictional, you know, story in this movie just made people, you know, feel this sense of dread over something that they see on an everyday basis. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it sounds funny, but I mean, there's, there's to this day, I, I hear people talk about, ah, I, no, I don't like that movie because and then I won't want to look at birds or you know, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, it's one of those cultural zeitgeist things that is now just, I feel like, embedded into our culture because of how impactful it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, again, I mean, the you know, Sean William Scott and role models, you know, uh, you know, dinosaurs still exist because birds are dinosaurs and they're everywhere. <laughs> definitely, yeah, definitely buys into, you know, the whole birds thing. Um, <laughs> so, uh, do, would you like, is there another movie you'd like to kind of, uh, maybe not your favorite, but another Hitchcock movie you'd like to briefly, um, plug for anyone that might be looking to flesh out their, uh, movie watching, uh, list? You know, I, you know, admittedly, I am not as well versed in his catalog or his library. I mean, over 50 features good <laughs> um, you don't so know I, all 50 come on jesse i i i maybe seen a a fifth of what he <laughs> i mean so that's that's something to focus on you know later on but um i would say you know i i definitely think you know going back to psycho um it is you know worth a go i think there's very much a lot to like and rear window um which you know you already you know alluded to or discussed earlier um you know kind of these these this powerhouse five of his um of those two along with vertigo uh, north by northwest um i think that might be five right there um <laughs> so yeah those five um those are i think you know, along with, you know, To Catch a Thief, uh, Dial In for Murder. You know, I think Hitchcock is one of those directors who doesn't always utilize the exact same game plan, if you will, or approach and how he's going to grab our suspense. And that he'll try and do it a little bit differently each time. So I think he's very much one of those directors that if you've only seen one or a few, you know, you haven't really, you truly haven't seen, you know, what he's fully capable of and all the different ways that he can both mystify and, you know, entertain us. Um, so I would say, if, you know, I would definitely wholeheartedly endorse all those five uh, plus the other two I mentioned, but I mean, really if this is something, if you like classic film, if you, are you know a suspense fan a horror fan you really owe it to yourself to become well versed with um this man's entire filmography yeah i think obviously psycho is you know incredibly incredibly famous and that right there is uh a, pr a pretty good starting point i feel like if you want to go there and then like you said you know vertigo Catch a Thief, uh, Rear Window, Dial in for Murder. I even think, um, e even if you're looking for some more, uh, Strangers on a Train, uh, his 1951 
uh, thriller is great uh, based on the novel of the same name going back that far. Um, uh, so it's the, you, you could spend a good amount of time just experiencing his entire filmography and just it's impressive to see, like you were saying, the so many times there's slight variations and slight differences. Uh, still Hitchcockian um, in a lot of the ways shot and the feeling you get from it, yeah. but you still get to experience so much of it that's different in each uh, each an individual way. Definitely, I think to this day, you know, has a big influence on all of our favorite filmmakers who have, you know, come after him. So uh, definitely worth, you know, checking out and uh, becoming more familiar with. <laughs> One thing about Psycho, I don't know if it's too spoilery, but um, there's a scene that I I can't help but just laugh at because it looks so damn cheesy every time <laughs> I watch it. And, you know, small spoiler for Psycho, so if you prefer to go in blind, maybe stop listening now. Uh, <laughs> but like, there is, you know, um, about halfway or maybe, you know, two thirds of the way through the film, a murder at uh, the house behind the hotel. And the character murdered gets clubbed in the face uh, or hit over the head and then falls <laughs> down a flight of stairs. And I just... <laughs> The look on his face, it's, it's cracking me up just thinking about it, but the look on his face along with, I think, just the zoomed in camera and how he's pictured falling backwards down the stairs, I, I just always thought that looked cheesy as hell and was a bit unbecoming of, you know, his usual precise, you know, perfection. And I, it always cracks me up and kind of takes me out of that movie. So that... That's that's one of the only you know real critiques I have of his films themselves. <laughs> that gets me. Yeah, unfortunately, sometimes I feel like he was limited by his technology uh, sure. at the time, uh, and I, I know exactly what scene you're talking about. I, I talked a little bit about like how he's at the bottom of the stairs and is like the body so twisted and mouthful, yeah. and then he's like, Ugh, and it's just like. <laughs> Maybe that's why he spent so much time talking about it in that trailer is because he knew how it looked and wanted people to glance over it, I guess. Yeah. God <laughs> damn it. Stupid technology. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a really great example of a I, I want to say it's a dolly, uh, a dolly zoom. No, it's not a dolly zoom. It's a what is it? I I'm for, oh man, I can't remember the technique, what it's called, but um, a dolly zoom is something completely different. That's the um, um, in Jaws, when he the, the 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 sheriff is sitting on the the beach and he realizes that there's a shark in the water and the yeah. camera moves away but zooms in on his face type thing, um, man, but it's, it's gonna bug me that I can't think of that technique the technique that they use when he's falling down the the stairs. But um, and 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 kind of another thing since you know if you are still listening and you didn't want uh, if, you, if you're okay with getting spoiled on uh, Psycho, um, uh, the whole first it's psycho is such a weird i remember watching it for the first time and was very was was like waiting for the horror and the famous shower scene to happen and when it did i didn't realize that the person that it happened to was like the character that we had met uh -huh. that had been like with us for like the first entire half of the movie 
it's it's pretty crazy to think that like this this one this famous character is killed in like the first half. He was really good at you know it's giving you like a left you know when you thought you were gonna get a right and everything. You kind of just go into you learn this as you you know begin to explore more of his films is that everything you go into it knowing everything is probably not as it seems and that there is going to be not a twist per se but i think the the story is not what you think it's about in a lot of these cases yeah and i think that's what makes him so great yeah so uh i think with that um i think we, we can wrap it up here jesse unless you, uh you got anything else you'd like to share or talk about yeah i mean i think i've I've said my piece on everything Hitchcock related. I, you know, I don't, again, agree with the man's methods and, you know, some decisions he made and, you know, maybe who he was as a person. But uh, I, you know, what can you say other than where would film be without this guy? This, this crazy, this crazy guy. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think there'd probably be a lot less. I feel like a lot of the filmmakers we now know and look up to nowadays um would not be who they are um without that so yep yeah perfect we'll wrap it up there then thank you so much for listening to hit the reel the podcast where we talk about the entertainment that we consume and what we really think about it um we try to get this podcast out weekly on saturdays or sundays depending on how much i'm drinking that weekend uh, doing the editing but uh, thank you again, and if you think that maybe you know somebody that would like to listen to our ramblings on Alfred Hitchcock or any of our other episodes, please feel free to share out uh, this to them. We're trying to grow our audience, get a little bit more out there. Um, and as well as if you think you heard something that you don't agree with or we got wrong, please feel free to email us at hittherealpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's hittherealpodcast at gmail.com. We are also trying to uh, upgrade our equipment that we have here to do some cool, fun new things. Uh, so feel free to take a look at our Patreon in the description of this episode. But with all that said, again, thank you. And hey, like always, keep it real. Keep it real.